Section 11 of Atlantic Narratives, Modern Short Stories, published 1918 by the Atlantic Monthly Press. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Nothing by Safine Humphrey. This is not going to be an easy story to write. Its theme is precisely that which I have chosen for my title, and naturally its positive significance is not obvious. But I must somehow get the thing into words. The spiritual value which I found in the experience may come home to some reader. At any rate, it is good for us all to stop now and then and challenge the conventional standards of our lives. To begin with, I presume that there are few sympathetic students of humanity who will not agree with me that the strain of mysticism which sometimes appears in a New England character is one of the most interesting and touching of all the manifestations of our human nature. It is so unexpected. The delicate pearl in the rough oyster is not more apparently incongruous, rarer, or more priceless. Nay, it is more than that. The development is so impossible as to be always a miracle, freshly wrought by the finger of God. There are all sorts of elements in it which do not appear in other kinds of mysticism. Humor, that unfailing New England salt, reserve, and a paradoxical mixture of independence and deference. It knows how inexplicable it must seem to its environment, how it must fret its oyster, so it effaces itself as much as possible. But it yields not one shot of its integrity. It holds a hidden, solitary place apart, like a rare orchid in the woods, like a hermit thrush. Even to those who love it, it will not lightly or often reveal itself. But when it does, well, I would take a very barefoot pilgrimage for the sake of the experience which I had last summer. And here I may as well begin my narrative. Part 1. I sat behind her in the little country church, and when I had studied her profile for a few moments, I was glad of a chance to rise and sing the doxology. She was a woman of fifty-odd, a typical Vermonter with the angular frame and features peculiar to her class. Her mouth was large, her cheekbones high, her thin, dark hair, streaked with grey, was drawn smoothly down behind her ears. But her expression, that gave her away. Not flagrantly, of course. To discover her, one had to be temperamentally on the watch for her. Apparently, like all the rest of us, she was looking at the flowers before the pulpit. But I was sure that her wide blue eyes were really intent on something behind and beyond. Her mouth brooded, her forehead dreamed, her whole face pondered grave and delectable matters. I am afraid that I did not hear much of the sermon that morning. When church was over, I followed her out and waited to see in what direction she turned her homeward steps. Then I made up my mind to devote the next week to taking walks in that same direction. The minister's wife saw me looking after her and approached me with a smile which I understood. She was about to say, "'That is one of our native oddities, a real character. I see that she interests you. Shall I take you to see her?' you will find her a curious and amusing study. But I headed her off by letting the wind blow my handkerchief away. Nobody should tell me anything about my mystic, not even what her name was or where she lived. I was fully prepared not to find her for several days. I went forth in quest of her in the spirit in which I always start out to find a hermit thrush, ready to be disappointed, to wait, humbly aware that the best rewards demand and deserve patience but she was not so securely hidden as the thrush. Her little house gave her away to my seeking, as her expression the day before had given her away to my sympathy. 
it was just the house for her low and white under a big tree on the side of a brook-threaded hill a little apart from the village i recognized it the instant i saw it and when i had read the name hesper sherwood on the mailbox by the side of the road i confidently turned in at the gate she was working in her garden clad in a blue jack gingham apron and a blue sunbonnet when she heard my footsteps she looked up slowly turning in my direction and for the first time i saw her full face it was even better than her profile oh when human features can be moulded to such quietness and confidence what an inexplicable pity it is that they ever learn a trick of fretfulness in hesper sherwood humanity for once looked like a child of god i was not sure at first that she saw me distinctly perhaps the sun dazzled her shaded eyes her expectant expression held itself poised a little uncertainly as if she were doubtful of the exact requirements of the situation but when i said something commonplace enough and yet heartful about the beauty of the view from her gate her face lighted and she came forward it's better from the house she said shyly yet eagerly won't you come up and see it was indeed as fair a prospect as threshold ever opened out upon close at hand was the green hillside dropping down to the smiling summer valley and beyond were the mountains big and blue with their heads in the brilliant sky and with cloud shadows trailing slowly over them directly across the way they were massive in the distance where the valley opened out to the south they were hazy and tender one of them loomed above the little house and held it in its hand everywhere there were commanding presences and it was clear that the house had taken up its position wholly on their account plain enough in itself it was that house its three small rooms were meagerly furnished and its windows were curtainless inviting the eyes beyond themselves it was utterly restful it made me want to go home and burn up half the things i possess later as i came to know it and its owner better i understood what perfect counterparts they were she too invited the gaze beyond herself it is of course not my intention to trace the development of our friendship though we trusted each other from the beginning we took the whole summer to feel our way into each other's lives it was a beautiful experience i would not have hurried it but now i want to proceed at once to the conversation in which she finally told me explicitly what had not happened to her it was but a definite statement of what i had known all along that here was a life which god had permitted himself the luxury of keeping apart for his own delectation we were sitting out on the front steps in the face of the mountains and valley and we had said nothing for a long time our silence had brought us so close that when she began to speak my ear ignored the uttered words and i felt as if my thoughts were reading hers it's queer about folks lives isn't it she said thoughtfully though i am not sure that she was any more aware of her lips than i was of my ears how they follow one line how the same things keep happening to them over and over i suppose it's what people call fate there is no getting away from it take my brother silas as a boy he was always making the luckiest trades couldn't seem to help it then when he married and moved to his new farm he began to get rich and now he couldn't stop his money if he wanted to he must be worth fifteen thousand dollars take my sister persis she's had eleven children take my uncle rufus he's been around the world three times and is just starting again take she paused and hesitated you i supplied softly well yes take me she turned and flashed a sudden smile at me i've always wanted 
everything, and I've had nothing. She spoke the word as if it were the pot of gold at the foot of the rainbow. It took me a long time to understand, she went on quietly, as I made no comment. I suppose that was natural. I was young, and I had never happened to hear of a case like mine. At first, I thought that, just because I wanted a thing, I was bound to have it. There was my mother. Again she paused, and a tender, glowing light appeared in her face, like the quickening of a latent fire. It was eloquent of all sorts of passionate, youthful, eager things. I guess I worshipped my mother, she submitted simply. Maybe you think that, anyway, I had her, but never hadn't. She liked me well enough, mothers do, but we had a big family, and we lived in a big house, and she was very busy. It bothered her to have me get in her way with my huggings and kissings. Why in the world couldn't I wait until bedtime? Poor mother. She never did seem to know what to make of my devotion. People don't like to be loved too well. It embarrasses them. She died when I was fourteen, and I thought I'd die too. There was no shadow on Hesper's face as she remembered her young, far-away anguish. Rather, there was a strange deepening of peace. But she was silent for two or three minutes. And I noticed that she put out her hand and caressed an old-fashioned crocheted tidy that lay on the arm of a chair which she had brought out on the porch. When she resumed her story, she spoke somewhat more rapidly. I was sick a long time. If I hadn't been, I think I might have gone crazy. But pain took my attention, and weakness made me sleep a good deal. And when I came to get up again, I was quieter. I spent lots of time in the fields and woods. I had always loved them, and now they seemed to help me more than anything else. There was something about them, so big that it was willing to let me love it as much as I wanted to. It was comforting. When I was in the woods, I felt as if I had hold of an endless thread. You know how it is? She appealed to me. Indeed, yes, I answered her, and I quoted William Blake. Only wind it into a ball. It will lead you in at heaven's gate, built in Jerusalem's wall. She nodded soberly, yet glowingly, and pondered the words for a moment. Then, that's very good, she said. Please say it again. Well, by and by, she continued, touching her finger, as if she were half unconsciously enumerating the points of her discourse. There was something indescribably simple and downward in her manner of unfolding her experience. By and by, somebody gave me a card to the village library, and I began to read. Of course, I had always gone to school, but the pieces in the readers didn't interest me particularly, and I hadn't followed them up. A reader isn't a book anyway. It's a crazy quilt. I guess I shan't ever forget that summer. I couldn't do anything but read. I read stories and poems and books about travel and history and people's lives. I had a hiding place up in the woods where I used to go and stay for hours, sometimes whole days. My older sister couldn't get anything out of me in the way of housework. It was wonderful. Her voice rose a little and something of the old exultation came flooding back into her face. Isn't it silly to talk of books as if they were just print and paper? when there are really stars and seas and cities and pictures and people and everything. There was nothing my books didn't give me that summer, and yet, on the other hand, there was nothing they didn't make me want. I wanted to travel, to go everywhere, to see and hear everything. Above all, by way of a beginning, I wanted to go to school. I was always an impatient child, and it did seem as if I couldn't wait till autumn when the schools opened. There's a good school at Fieldsboro over the mountain. I coaxed my father to let me go there, and, after a while, he consented. 
on the day he wrote to enter my name i ran up in the woods and lay in a bed of ferns and cried for joy i hugged every tree that came in my way i tried to hug the brook dear me again she broke off and the light which has begun to burn in her eyes softened into a smile that's the way i was then i was so hard-hearted i didn't understand but you went i inquired my sympathetic eagerness suddenly breaking bounds it seemed to me that i could not stand it if she had been disappointed oh why not my voice faltered for she shook her head my eyes she said briefly they had always bothered me and before he let me go to school father had them examined by a city doctor who was boarding in the village he said i'd surely be blind some day and that of course the more books i read the sooner the end would come she spoke as if she referred to the wearing out of an umbrella or a pair of shoes and fortunately for us both my distress kept me dumb it was pretty hard at first a real blow but i was sixteen years old and i had suffered once then too i thought i had to make a choice and i needed all my wits about me so i held on to myself and went off to the woods to think should i go to school or should i keep my eyes as long as i could as soon as i had put my mind to it however i found that there wasn't any real question there of course i'd got to keep my eyes and the school must go there were all sorts of reasons i wanted to see the woods and the mountains as long as possible i didn't want to become dependent on anyone my memory wasn't very good and i knew most likely if i went to school and stuffed my mind full that year i'd soon forget everything and there i'd be worse off than ever so i gave over thinking about it and just lay in the ferns all afternoon maybe you'll hardly believe me when i tell you that i was happy that day i don't know what it was something moved in the treetops and in the shadows i watched it closely and by and by when i was just on the point of seeing it i realized that both my eyes were closed if i hadn't been so surprised by that discovery and so taken up with wondering how i had happened to shut my eyes without knowing it i believe i'd have seen her voice trailed off into silence and i presently found myself wondering if she had left that sentence unfinished also without knowing it part two my father died the next year she continued after a few thoughtful minutes and my sister married and i came to live in this little house i had it fixed over to suit me so that it was as simple and convenient as possible and i set myself to learn it by heart i did a lot of my housework after dark inside a year i was so independent that i knew i need never worry about having to get anybody to help me by taking plenty of time i managed to learn some books by heart too and i found it was much more interesting to sit and think about one paragraph for an hour than to read twenty pages even a few words are enough take be still and know that i am god or acquaint now thyself with him and be at peace there is no end to those sentences well she touched her third finger and then for the first time she came to a full pause as if she were not sure about going on her face grew shy and reserved and reluctant i looked away not for anything would i have urged her further confidence but she went on presently she had committed herself to the stream of this confession and she would not refuse to be carried by it wherever it might wind after a while i had a lover he was a man from the city and i met him in the woods we were never introduced and for a long time i didn't know anything about him except that i loved him and he loved me we couldn't help it for we felt the same way about the woods i had never known anyone like him before and never expected to because i am so different from most folks he made me understand how lonely it is to be different i we 
but after all she could not dwell on the experience and i didn't want her to poignant beauty of the relation was already sufficiently apparent to my imagination one day he told me that he had a wife at home she concluded and i never saw him again i think it was then that i really knew and understood knew what understood what she had an air of having said all that was necessary of having come to the end of her story and i shrank from putting any crude questions to her but it seemed to me that if she did not tell me something more of her secret i should just miss the most significant revelation i had ever caught a glimpse of perhaps she read my suspense at any rate she said presently it was very simple if it hadn't been i couldn't have understood it for i was never a good hand at trying to reason things out it was just that i was never to have anything i wanted when i once knew and accepted that i felt as if i had slipped out into a great wide quiet sea this was to her own mind so definitely the end of her narrative that after sitting a moment in silence she half rose as if to go into the house and attend to some domestic task but i put out my hand and held her apron's hem you mean i stammered really she must tell me a little more a look of perplexity almost of distress came into her tranquil face and she shook her head i told you i was no hand at working things out she said it's better just to know please i insisted it was crass of me but i felt that something as precious as life itself depended on my grasping the full significance of this story gently but very resolutely she stooped and released her apron from my clutch i have some bread in the oven she said and disappeared part three she was gone so long that i had time to do what i would with the fragments of the story which she had so non-committedly delivered to me since analysis was my way i should have full scope for it i sat with my head in my hands my elbows on my knees the sunset deepened and glowed around me but i paid no attention to it the cloudy abstraction which hovered before my inner vision and let me grasp here a fringe there a fold was all absorbing to me souls that want greatly like hesper are doomed to failure or disappointment no earthly having can possibly satisfy them for what you really want is simply god and earth represents him very imperfectly hesper had not been happy with the thing she had come nearest having her mother would she have been happy with a lover would he have let her love him too well books and education and travel are all finite and fragmentary means to an end which never arrives only adventurous spirits can escape the torment in them and with all her eagerness hesper was not adventurous she was too earnest and humble she was too direct fate had been good to her and in giving her nothing had really given her everything everything that was god well her story had not once referred to him but it had been as instinct with him as a star with light it was he who had beckoned and lured her by lurking in her free definite interests and then had shattered them before her in order that she might find him she had him fast at last and he had her there was no mistaking the heavenly surrender of her face i was awed with the apprehension of the passionate seeking and finding between a human soul and its maker did she recognize and acknowledge the situation or here again did she prefer a blind certainty blind the word had dogged me for several weeks but i had evaded it now when it suddenly confronted me i was all but staggered by it i think i groaned slightly i know i pressed my hand closely over my eyes 
then my own action admonished me here was i deliberately shutting myself away from the sight of the outer world in order that i might hold and marshal my thoughts in the presence of reality the hills and sky are distracting the whole flying glory of creation is a perpetual challenge and disturbance to the meditative spirit how supremely excellent it would be if one could only look long and hard and adoringly enough at it to see through it once and then never see it again for the rapt contemplation of that which lies behind i had come to this point in my reverie when hesper softly returned and stood in the doorway behind me i looked up at her she returned my smile but i thought that her eyes did not quite fix me neither did she glance at the sky when i commented on the beauty of the sunset although she assented to my comment convincingly as she sat down beside me her hands and feet made a deft groping i said nothing and i have never known whether she or any one else knew that she was blind the minister's wife waylaid me as i passed her house that evening on my way back to my room you have been to see hester sherwood again she remarked with a righteous truant air of ignoring a slight i am so glad her life is so empty that any little attention means riches to her empty the expostulation was a mistake but i really could not help it i have never known such a brimming life i added still more foolishly the minister's wife stared at me why she has nothing at all she said precisely i commented and went on my way end of story biographical and interpretive notes by charles swain thomas Zephine humphrey mrs farnestock long a contributor of essays and stories to the atlantic is the author of a novel entitled grail fire in this and other contributions to the atlantic miss humphrey has shown an acute sensitiveness to atmosphere and personality we are here charmingly led into an intimate understanding of the surroundings and character of the little blind woman who lives her lonely life in the simple cottage where in preparation for the imminent affliction she had long ago learned to do her work in the silent dark the story has almost no plot interest for we trace no significant movement of events except the few which are fragmentarily imparted in confidential retrospect the quietness of the style is in thorough keeping with the secure tone one of those happy revelations so difficult to accomplish yet when once accomplished suggesting by its inevitable touch the easy process of mastership end of section eleven recorded by julia niedermeyer